Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back. It's this week's episode of the Believe Podcast here on the Buffalo Rumblings family of podcasts. We are so happy and pleased you've taken the time to listen to Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast with myself, John Boccasino, and our awesome colleague, Jamie D'Amico, talking Buffalo Bills football each and every week. It's a special week this week. We've got a huge rivalry game. We're going to break down the Sunday night football showdown between the Buffalo Bills and Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. And Jamie, this is one of those matchups, man, where it's hard not to get excited, hard not to get amped up for another showdown with the Bengals uh, week nine. Great to have you on board, buddy. This is one of those games that everybody had circled from the time the schedule came out. It was okay. What is this game going to mean by that point in the season? And, well, here we are with the Bengals stumbling out of the gate with an injured Joe Burrow. They are back to being who they are, and we're still trying to figure out who the Buffalo Bills are, which is why it's great that we finally have an opportunity to talk about this. Yeah, Jamie, it was an interesting uh, week this week uh, for the Buffalo Bills. You know, we... We, we had our, our, our fun with our trade deadline extravaganza. The Bills did end up making a move uh, for a quarterback, Rasul Douglas of the Green Bay Packers, sending a third-round pick to Green Bay for Douglas and a fifth. Uh, love the move. Um, as we talked about during the pod on the trade deadlines, we both, you know, you I honestly thought cornerback was a huge uh, need for the Bills. I thought a run-stuffing defensive tackle uh, was a big need for the Bills. And the Bills basically did both of those things by bringing in both Linval Joseph as a free agent, formerly of the Eagles, and Douglas from the Green Bay Packers. Before we get to the matchup, Jamie, breaking down the Bills and the Bengals, real quick, give me your thoughts on Buffalo's moves at the deadline. I thought the trade for Rasul Douglas was absolutely a coup. It, to get a guy for basically swapping a third and a fifth round pick who's going to walk in is your number one corner, who is a player that the Packers players and fans hated losing and a guy who's on a manageable salary. I mean, this is really a great move. And also I think it tells you something about what the bills are expecting for next year. He's going to be under contract for about eight and a half million dollars that's telling me they have very little faith that that uh, Trey White is going to make it back. And I, I understand that, but a conversation for another time. Great move. Now, bringing in Leonard Fournette and Linval Joseph, there's a reason those guys have been on their couch up to this point in the year. If they were real needle-moving players, they would have already been playing for someone. Yeah, that's that's my take. Now, it's entirely possible that it wasn't the right situation. They couldn't get what they wanted. But really, if there's a strong market for a player, they're going to end up on a team before training camp starts or right around the beginning of training camp. So these are depth pieces. And I, I do want people to be assured that Bill's brass are looking at them as depth pieces. This isn't the Linval Joseph of 10 years ago. 
And Leonard Fournette, well, I don't know. Why do you pick up Leonard Fournette when you could probably take somebody off of a practice squad and get the same type of production? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll start with Fournette because you brought him up last in the the question mode. I struggled at first um, with the signing, but then the more you read, the more you do a little analysis. I mean, Leonard Fournette still has a bunch in the tank. Um, he had over 1,300 yards of all-purpose offense last year. He's become a much better uh, pass catcher out of the backfield. He's still a really solid run blocker, and to me, this shows me that as great as you know, Latavius Murray had a really nice start to the year, but mm-hmm. what's the area he has struggled in most picking up third and ones, third and twos, fourth and ones. He got ah, stuffed okay. on the goal line um, against the Buccaneers, I believe twice in that situation and playoff Lenny is a bruiser who has that experience of getting into the end zone. So for me, and I don't, I haven't seen the financial particulars, you know, for Fournette, but the fact that the bills while restructuring Deion Dawkins, contract, were able to bring in a number one corner in Rasul Douglas, a veteran running back who really, you could tell the bills felt more comfortable with three backs. And when Damian mm-hmm. went down, there's a void. So they bring in Fournette to fill that role. And as much as, and I get your point on Linval Joseph. I mean, he's 35 years old, but here's here's what I like about the signing. What Linval Joseph brings is what you saw last year when the Eagles won the FC Championship. He is an immovable force in the middle of a defense, and you're not going to ask him to play 40 snaps. I mean, we're talking about 20 snaps a game, realistically, that Joseph can step in, clog the middle, free things up for Ed Oliver to be a beast and for to keep things clean in front of Terrell Bernard um, in the middle linebacker spot. So if you tell me I could have Linval Joseph or Indomitian Sue or what it would have taken to trade for somebody, I mean, the bills are strashed, uh, strapped for cash. They found a deal with Joseph who I f- think really can be one of those. He's not going to be an Aaron Donald type. They're not asking him to do that though. They just want him to clog the lanes to take double teams and to again keep things clear uh for buffalo's linebackers and i think joseph does that in spades at this stage and i think that he's a better fit than indamakong sue would have been because joseph is a prototype one technique defensive tackle whereas sue pretty much made his living as a, a three technique and at this point in his career he doesn't have the quicks that he used to so he's probably trying to play the one uh but to me it it smells of consolation prize that the bills probably targeted a defensive tackle before the trade deadline that they couldn't get so they turned to the free agent wire now hopefully he is a big dude who can hold his ground because that's exactly what the Bills need is a run defender. Somebody who isn't going to get pushed out of the way with a single blocker. Uh, you, you've seen in the past, looking at Daquan Jones, he was one of the most double teamed defensive tackles in the NFL and also had one of the highest pass rush win rates in the NFL. You can't replace that. However, no. However, you you do have a guy in Joseph who at least has the size to play the position, and that's something that the Bills are lacking. 
Yeah, there's a couple of nice plays. Um, if you go on Twitter and just search for Linval Joseph, he really he was more of like um a little bit your nose tackle, um, your zero tech, like literally going straight up the middle as a zero tech guy uh for the Eagles last year. And he's he's he can still in limited capacity, you know, be one of those shed an offensive lineman and get after the quarterback. But again, I feel like, I mean, he's not going to be a pass rusher. He's going to be someone who just generates a lot of chaos and havoc up the middle. And at this juncture, knowing how the premium is placed on big guys who are agile, it was going to cost more. I feel like to get someone like uh, Mike Purcell or, you know, I mean, Harrison Phillips didn't end up getting traded anywhere. So for me, I'm fine with Brandon being going to the, the Kmart, you know, blue light shopping and bringing in, Linval Joseph, it, it can't hurt, you know, the bills. And if anything, this is going to, cause I mean, I would argue that Jordan Phillips maybe has turned a corner. Like he's still a, a decent pass rusher. His run game is terrible. I would almost rather with the bills having a prolific number of pass rushers, bring in someone that they don't have as much experience with in run stuffing. And that's where mm-hmm. Joseph makes a lot of sense. Now, let me ask you this. Why is it that the Bills seem to be gravitating toward veterans? Uh, I would imagine that there's a number of players out there that are maybe on practice squads that might be they, they might be similar in in skill that they that they could probably get. What what do you think it is about wanting that veteran presence? You think that they're looking for guys that are getting toward the end of their career and are hungry or have been there and done that and trying to bring some leadership in. Yeah. I think that, I mean, look, we've, what's the buzzword we always preach with McDermott it's culture and it's team fit. And I think veterans are more likely to know their role. You know, like again, Mm -hmm. uh, Linval Joseph is not going to come in and and expect and demand to play 50% of the snaps. He's not in that physical shape, but he's going to give you what you need you know, for those 20 to 25 snaps a game. And I think Leonard Fournette is the same way. He's a veteran. These are guys that want to be a part of an established culture and an established locker room. And the bills don't really, I mean, as much as the outside media wants to fabricate there being drama at one bills drive, I would argue that especially this year with all the injuries that have piled up, the bills are still a pretty drama free team. The drama Mm -hmm. that's being made up is, when Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith or those talking hairdos at the mothership uh, <laughs> pretend they have sources in Buffalo and they really don't know what they're talking about. Mm, yeah. And I don't think the national media has too many people embedded in Buffalo. It's hard. They definitely don't because it's a hard market. You know, it's more of a local. You've got to be here. I feel like to get a pulse for what the, uh, what the team is all about. But Jamie, given what the bills had financially available to them, I'd be hard pressed to come up with a better blueprint. And it just goes to show one more thing on Douglas. Um, we talked about this when it came to evaluating Jalen Johnson and the other cornerback possibilities. Douglas is one of those guys who is just like the prototypical fit for his own heavy scheme that McDermott likes to run. Mm-hmm. He's got incredible instincts. He's tall. I mean, the Bills don't have a corner who's 6'2", 210 like Douglas is. And the fact that you mentioned this earlier, Packers fans and Packers players were stunned at the news that Douglas was traded. To me, I gauge a lot about a player 
on how it's received when the news comes out that they're being dealt from that team. And if that team is happy that the player's gone or they're not showing as much remorse, that's a red flag for me that the player, you know, maybe isn't as good as his stats indicated or maybe had worn out his welcome. Douglas just seems like a good community guy, a good locker room guy. And again, he's a perfect fit. I mean, he was the de facto number one corner in Green Bay, and the Bills now get an instinct-laden player with long arms, with good tackling abilities, and a knack for the ball. I mean, he his interception total, I want to give credit where credit's due. I believe this came from uh, Elena Getzenberg um, at ESPN. Give me one second to punch up the fact here, because when I read this, I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive so while you're looking that up i will tell you that his size is absolutely the prototype that sean mcdermott looks for at 6 210 pounds he is much bigger than dane jackson he's uh, i i think he's going to be what is it four inches taller and outweigh him by 25 or 30 pounds i mean that's exactly what you want on your defense Oh my gosh, it is fantastic. Yeah, the the fit, the size, the height to bring in there. And here it is. Here's that stat while I was looking for. So Rasul Douglas over the last three seasons has 10 interceptions, which is tied for the third most in the NFL. Since week five, remember Jamie when the Bills led the league in both sacks and in interceptions? Mm-hmm. Well, the Bills don't have a single takeaway since week five. So Douglas is just one of those guys who's instinctive. He's his nose is always around the ball. It's a fantastic trade. In my opinion, you're, and here's the thing too, that people lamenting the fact that Buffalo is going to be losing a top 100 draft pick uh, in this trade to give away uh, for Douglas. The bills are in almost all likelihood going to be recouping a compensatory third rounder for mm-hmm. losing Tremaine Edmonds. So really, and the Bills are, I think, going to have 11 draft picks next year when all is said and done. There's not going to be 11 roster openings for the Bills to fill their roster with. So why not make an impact kind of move like this? And, and to clarify one more thing, I mentioned um, the stats of the Bills having no picks over the last five weeks. To go even further, Douglas, again, has those 10 picks over the last three seasons by himself. Over the last three seasons, all Bills cornerbacks combined have 12 interceptions. Mm, Love it. There's your stat of the day brought to you by me talking about why Rasul Douglas is a great fit for the Bills. So, Jamie, good moves, low-key moves, but Brandon Bean was active. And I think what this really, for me, the signing of Linval Joseph, the trading for Rasul Douglas, the Bills have a, a gauntlet of talented wide receivers that they're going to be facing down the stretch. And they know what Miami brings with Waddle and Hill. They know the challenges that Kansas city's high octane offense brings to me. The Linval Joseph signing is great for slowing down and giving another big body for the middle of Buffalo's defense to contain the ground game. And the Douglas signing is a move solely made out there for both this year to get a lockdown corner at CB one and to help take away neutralize some of those big receiver threats that you're going to be facing starting with Sunday night's opponent with Jamar chase and the talented Joe burrow, Jamie, these Bengals are back and it's, it's, you know, they were written off during a one and three start, but Joe burrow's calf injury 
really seems to be a thing of the past. Well, it, it really looked like they were a team that was struggling to find their footing and all signs pointed to Joe Burrow being injured. If you looked at the Bengals previously, nobody blitzed them last year. Teams were doing like three-man pass rushes and dropping everybody into coverage because Joe Burrow was precision in defeating the blitz. He was cool back there. He moves around in the pocket very instinctually. His eyes stay downfield. He was a blitz killer. This year, teams realized the dude couldn't move around the way he could before, and they were getting absolutely smoked, and the word got out on them. Well, look as recent as this past Sunday when they lit up the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, like you said, these Bengals are back, and it 100% is Joe Burrow's health there. The guy's a great quarterback. A lot of people are saying he's the second best quarterback in football. Pretty hard to debate that right now when you consider that a healthy Joe Burrow put up 31 on the 49ers' vaunted defense. Like, this is a great team, and... This is a team that's going to be competing to the bitter end this season, just like they were last year. They were a Super Bowl team the year before that. This is a team that the Bills have got to figure out how to beat, if not now, in the playoffs. Yeah, this is definitely... Nobody would be surprised if this turns into a rematch game on the playoffs because the, the Bengals are red hot. I think the Bills are on to something. I think the offense has turned a corner with both the no-huddle up-tempo movement that we saw against Tampa Bay and smaller doses of scrambling design running Josh Allen opening up the offense for Buffalo's playmakers. I am excited. This is one of those cases, Jamie, where I literally will not be able to wait until Sunday night for this matchup. Cue the Carrie Underwood song in NBC Sunday Night Football. It's it's a marquee matchup. And, you know, the, I, I, Jamie, as we break down this game here, there's a lot to discuss, but the thing I want to start off with first and foremost is this is going to be one of those really emotional challenges for the Buffalo Bills. It's mm-hmm. going to be emotional for the Bengals too, but this is the scene of the crime Paycor stadium. When DeMar Hamlin died on the field mm-hmm. last January, when he had his cardiac arrest incident. And I know the Bengals have talked about how it still haunts them. DeMar has talked about how it's so emotional going back for this game how worried would you be if you're Sean McDermott about your veteran laden team dealing with the raw emotions, almost the PTSD, if you will, of returning to such a dramatic spe- uh, dramatic scene? I'm not sure it's going to hit them until they actually get out onto the field because they know where they were conceptually. It's entirely different when you get into the stadium and you're literally standing on the spot on the field where last year's events went down. And I would be honestly very concerned if I'm Sean McDermott. It's going to be incredibly difficult to keep their heads in the game. And I'm sure there's going to be a standing ovation when DeMar Hamlin, who is likely going to be game time inactive, comes out onto the field. And It's going to bring a lot back, but here's the thing. That was emotional for the Bengals players, too. T. Higgins stayed at the hospital for days 
with uh, with with Demar Hamlin because he felt so guilty and he wasn't at fault in the slightest. All he was doing was making a football play, running forward with the ball. But you know, it's a big fraternity, and these guys are all a part of it. And if I'm McDermott, I'm doing everything I can to keep the keep the players thoughts on the issue at hand, which is winning a game and try to reassure them. We have all the time in the world going forward for dealing with the emotional stuff this week. We're at work. It's hard though, Jamie, I think I, and I, I get what you're saying. Um, compartmentalizing. It's going to be really difficult though. And, and to go back mm-hmm. to your angles point. So yeah, we know that T Higgins was the one involved in the trade. I'm uh, sorry. was the one involved in the collision uh, with DeMar when DeMar went down and suffered his cardiac arrest incident. But there's a fellow wide out for the Bengals, Tyler Boyd, who it's a really poignant article on The Athletic. They're talking about how triggering that incident was. And for Tyler Boyd, um, he's a Pittsburgh native. Um, he went to University of Pittsburgh, which is where DeMar Hamlin played his college football. Mm-hmm. And they had a meaningful relationship and friendship. And, you know, they talk, uh, Boyd talks about how it took a few games to get over the life or death scene that he had seen on the field that night and how a lot of his teammates just really struggled with getting up and being composed, you know, to go play a game again. I mean, that really epitomized the football players are so proud and strong, but to have your mortality thrust in front of you like this, you don't expect to be confronted with it. And that's why I think it's going to be pretty emotional on Sunday night, especially uh, with the fact that there's rumors that the first responders are going to be honored in some way, shape, or form um, for mm. the life-saving work that they did last January. So it's emotional. Emotions are on both sides. And uh, at the end of the day, the teams do have a game to play out there. But, Jamie, it's going to be interesting to see just how well both Zach Taylor's squad and Sean McDermott's team handle those emotions in that uh, moment of heading back to the scene of this just incredibly emotional and traumatic, traumatic incident from last year. I have to be honest, though, that isn't what concerns me the most about this game. Oh, I'm not saying it's the thing that concerns me the most. I don't want that putting out there as okay. my number one. My number one concern is how scary the Cincinnati Bengals offense is playing and performing. I mean, Joe Burrow completed 88% of his passes against the freaking San Francisco 49ers last <laughs> <No>. <laughs> week. That is insane that the Niners have this top flight defense. And Burrow's like, nah, I'm going to pick you apart. Jamar Chase here, T. Higgins there, Tyler Boyd there. And when their offense isn't going through the passing game, Joe Mixon's a pretty damn good running back um, who's going to really challenge you know, Buffalo's defense. So, all right, I've given you my number one concern, the, the, the juggernaut that the Bengals seem to be on offensively. Is that your top priority? Yeah, pretty much is too. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking – squarely a Joe Mixon because the Bills have really struggled to stop the run this year. And I, I know that they're trying to mix it up on defense a little bit to try to bring in uh, Dodson, who's a, a bit better of a run-stuffing linebacker, but then that leaves them open to uh, leaves them open to you know, the, the throwing lanes that Dodson is terrible at covering. But in listening to a Bengals dude this week talk about the team, 
One of the things he said is that it seems as though the NFC West teams have no idea how to scheme a defense for these Bengals. In fact, he said that they were literally doing everything wrong and they they were trying to bracket cover Jamar Chase and try to provide tighter coverage on the other guys and it just it didn't work. So I'm wondering if a better defensive scheme is going to yield far better results than what we saw this past week out west. Yeah, you know, I think that that's a valid point to be made when it comes to the Bengals offense is really running gangbusters. I almost wonder if we're going to see and it it was very and we haven't talked about it much at all. Um but the Bills definitely had an interesting uh, scheme that they unveiled with Jordan Poyer uh, mm-hmm. against Tampa Bay, where he was like a hybrid linebacker where they would keep their normal backers of Bernard and uh, Tyrell Dodson or Dorian Williams in on the first two downs and then have Jordan Poyer kind of serve as a third linebacker coming in as a, a covered linebacker in the dime schemes that they were rolling out versus Tampa Bay. And it really was effective. If you look at some of the numbers, when the bills ran that scheme with hybrid linebacker, Jordan Poyer, and then having the the defense set up in a dime formation, Tampa got four yards per play against that dime setup that led Mm -hmm. to two sacks. A lot of times Poyer would be hybrid blitzing off the edge, giving another pass rusher to get after him. Um, But the, the defense was effective. And you've got a lot of veterans. I think that's really the key with how this will work out moving forward because you've got veterans like Micah Hyde and Taylor Rapp who know how to man the back of the defense, allowing uh, Poyer to kind of take that free-ranging hybrid position. It was a very fascinating development to me. Well, they needed to do something because what they had on the field just wasn't going to work. Dodson, terrible in coverage, and... Clearly, Sean McDermott has soured on Dorian Williams. Uh, Two weeks ago, Williams was out of position regularly and gave up some big gains. And this is something that McDermott is wont to do with young players, especially rookies, is you look at a lot of the, the players that have been drafted by the Bills since he has, McDermott has been in Buffalo, a lot of them get benched at some point earlier in their starting career and then come out playing better. I mean, uh, uh, what's his name? The uh, God, why do I brain fart so badly when we're podcasting? This doesn't happen to me in real life. You make me nervous, Bob Casino. That's what it comes <laughs> down to. Darren <laughs> wow. Johnson was benched and came back and subsequently got himself a big, uh, a, a big extension. And while we're talking about Taron Johnson, we need to do something about him giving up touchdown passes at the goal line on slant patterns. Yeah, oh, it, it's been inexcusable the way the defense has been vulnerable and susceptible by Taron on those quick slants. I'm thinking that the Bills will be able to keep playing around with this hybrid lineup of intermingling Jordan Poyer at both the linebacker and the safety spot to maybe give a little more uh, help, if you will, for Johnson, because Johnson still is an elite slot corner but at the goal line you're right he has been getting torched and maybe that's something where they play with Poyer uh feigning a blitz and then drop him back to help in coverage or you know I think this is going to be a really good test 
for how much McDermott has adapted to what the opposing offense wants to do because the Bengals are a pick your poison offense. I mean, Mixon is mm-hmm. having a phenomenal season and poses a threat as being a really good uh, rusher. He's not bad out of the backfield on screens, but the Bengals don't have Sam Jai P Ryan, who was their number two back last year to really fill that role. So I think they're not as effective in the pass catching from the backs as they were last year, but Jamar chase is still Jamar chase. And that's again, why having a Rasul Douglas veteran, tall physical presence out there is going to help. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Douglas plays on Sunday, because the bills freaking need him for this game. You traded for the guy. I know it might take some time to adjust, but if I'm McDermott, I'm going to play Douglas out there and see what he can do right away. I wouldn't be terribly surprised myself because if you can put a veteran out there who understands basic coverages, you know, if, if you're going to put him in a quarters coverage, two deep, three deep, he's going to be able to do that as long as he knows what his assignments are. Now, the Bills are very, very good at disguising their defenses. That's what's going to take him time to get up to speed. So when he's on the field, look for them to do some very vanilla coverages, which may not be the best thing against the Bengals because, you know, what you want is Joe Burrow to have to hold the ball for an extra second because he's surgical in the way he you know, picks apart defenses. So it'll it'll be interesting when they choose to use him. I can't see him being on the field for 100% of the snaps, though, because I'm sure there's going to be situations when they want to try to throw something a little more, a, a little more interesting at the defense, like a, a cover six trap coverage or something like that. What the Bills Bengals matchup is going to be on Sunday night, because I feel like the Bengals, what was so surprising about how they ran rough shot over San Francisco was again, how they tormented the Niners defense. And they did a really good job of limiting the effectiveness of San Francisco's pass rush. This Bengals offensive line is not one of the top units in the league. They're decent, but I think they played way over their heads on Sunday, but they also did a lot of mixing and matching um, to keep, the defensive unit off balance. They ran a ton Mm -hmm. of these trap plays uh, with Joe Mixon, where the Bengals did what they wanted to. They pushed around and asserted their will over the front four for San Francisco. That's why to me, if Linval Joseph is able to be an active player clogging the middle, it's going to help out with Ed Oliver being able to read where the plays are running through. It's going to allow Greg Rousseau, um, and Leonard Floyd to get after Joe Burrow because he does the calf is still not a hundred percent at all in what I've been reading for Joe Burrow. So he can be susceptible to getting after him quick. And that's where the bills need to win this matchup. The bills front four needs to have a good day getting after the quarterback and generating pressure. I know it's a captain obvious statement, but especially against a team with so many weapons like the Bengals, this needs to be a week where the Bills have multiple sacks. Uh, Absolutely. Now, where is that pass rush going to come from? We know Joe Burrow doesn't hold on to the ball for very long. So how how do you get to the quarterback faster than his elite receivers can get open? What's your take on that? 
See, well, I'm asking I, you I, that I, question because I know you were going to ask me and I don't have an answer for it. Yeah, and no, no. This is turnaround <laughs> is good fair play. And, and I, I will say that, you know, in general, as much as I gave credit and kudos to the Bengals O-line, in general, they're in the bottom third of the league when it comes mm-hmm. to offensive line ratings, offensive line efficiencies, and, and what this unit's able to do to keep Joe Burrow clean. That's why he throws it so quickly. I think what the Bills need to do, Jamie, I think this is finally the week we're going to see Von Miller get a sack, first mm. of all. He had a couple of close calls against Baker Mayfield and the Bucks. I think the extra mini buy between the week eight game when the Bills played last Thursday and when they play on Sunday night is only going to help to rejuvenate their pass rushers. And I'm telling you, I don't want to see a lot of Poyer can feign a blitz. Poyer can fake a blitz when he's in that hybrid spot. But I take this as the same thing with Mahomes and the Chiefs. I'm not committing extra blitzers to come from the linebacker or the safety spot. This needs to be Russo and Oliver and Floyd and Von Miller crushing their one-on-one matchups and getting Burrow uncomfortable, getting him thinking, getting him backpedaling on that bad calf. Again, if they create pressure, make him feel uncomfortable, that's where the Bills are going to have success, not by bringing the extra blitzer, but by doing well with the four-man rush. Mm -hmm. If you bring in a blitzer, Joe Burrow will burn you. That's he's just so poised in the pocket and he's also fearless. He does not care if he's getting hit. I don't know if you remember their, uh, their playoff game a couple of years ago against the Raiders. He got sacked 11 times in that game and he never once shied away from any amount of physical contact. Like the, the dude, if I mean, he's a dog out there, he does not, he has no conscience when it comes to himself getting hit. <laughs> and uh, I am wondering, I'm wondering if this is the week you pull out a new wrinkle. I'm wondering if on a couple of obvious passing downs, you end up with a two-man pass rush. Wow. I That would be different. It, it would be different. But speaking of which, that is the exact same thing that the Bengals did to the Chiefs the year the Bengals made the Super Bowl. Interesting, right? That that's a that's a nugget. That's a wrinkle I hadn't even thought of when it came to it. And I guarantee you the Bills are gonna yeah break out some new wrinkles. I mean, who would have thought before the game with the Bucks we'd be talking about the reversion of the Kagon no huddle offense with Josh <laughs> Allen? I mean, that was a nice <laughs> little spark plug to get the offense going. That's what I think they'll be creative when it comes to the defense as well to get after mm-hmm. Burrow and make him uncomfortable it's going to be a tall task for this bills defense on sunday night football now jamie the offense for the bills uh, again has a lot of positives to build off of from the tampa bay game Um, cincinnati's defense is definitely vulnerable as well Um, it's not one of those things that i feel like is an impenetrable defense that the bills are going to struggle uh, to get after i mean the bills have a ton of weapons and if they're able to do the no huddle mix with Josh running the ball and this offensive line. Let's finally put to bed the talks of Spencer Brown. He has proven himself to be more than capable at the right tackle spot. This offensive line is having a nice season opening up holes for the ground game. Jamie, I might be talking myself into this, but I really like Buffalo's matchups on offense. I think the offense should be able to hang up. I'm going to go 30 on Cincinnati. 
Ooh, it's a lot of points, but I think that they are, they're getting there when it comes to finding their footing. And I feel like if you can slow down the pass rush and they've got a couple of good players, DJ reader, Trey Hendrickson, those guys can get to the quarterback, but you are right. The, the bills offensive line is, this is the best we've seen in the Sean McDermott era. And, you know, also on defense, a, a player who I really like, Cam Britt Taylor. He's a real long, real long cornerback with good hands. I think that there are, there are points to score against this Bengals team. This Bengals the, defense, by the way, Jamie, I do want to sprinkle a couple of facts in here to back up our, our my, at least my claims with the offense having an edge. The Bengals are not great against the pass. Um, they're allowing 7.2 yards per attempt, which is 28th in the league. They've given up the eighth most big explosive plays passing wise, 27 completions of 20 Ooh. yards or more against this defense. And Oh, by the way, they've given up 25 runs of 10 yards or more, which is tied for the fifth worst output defensively. The Bengals are giving up an explosive play which again is 10 yards or more running 20 more yards, 20 or more yards receiving or passing ways, passing wise 7.4% of the time. That's the worst in the league. And if the Bengals want to blitz, they want to come after Josh and make him throw quickly. Look how efficient Josh Allen was against Tampa Bay. The bucks blitzed him 44% of his dropbacks. He had 2.77 seconds to throw the ball between when he snapped it and got the ball out and he That's was a long time finding Diggs, Davis, Shakir, Dalton Kincaid. It was a solid game plan. And that's what gives me confidence that the bills can handle the pressure that uh, the Bengals and their defensive coordinator are going to, uh, to bring against them on Sunday night. Yeah. Lou. Oh gosh. What is his name? Lou Amarulo. Anna Rumo. Anna Rumo. Amarulo is You're that, close. Buddy. Uh, that's that fruit that they ferment. Um, it turns into an interesting liqueur. Have you ever seen those videos of elephants like getting drunk and follow, falling all over themselves? No, but now I know I'm going to spend my afternoon. Oh, my God. You have to look it up. Well, they eat this fruit, Amarillo. It falls off of the trees and it lays on the ground and it ferments. And then elephants eat it, get drunk off their asses and like stagger around and fall over and probably sit there laughing their asses off. And others probably cry but you know that's it's all the same things that happens when humans get drunk <laughs> good to know that I, we're not that different from our trunk waving friends of the elephant land out there and and that's right i mean jamie the, the, the Bengals are the elephant that the bills are chasing right now because they've had the upper hand on buffalo in the playoffs that sting from last year's loss i'm sure is still resonating in this locker room and i'm really hoping I'm not being overconfident in what this Bills offense can do against the Bengals because make no mistake for the Bills to win this game on Sunday night, they're going to need to find the offensive rhythm again because the defense is banged up and the offense is mostly fully assembled. But I don't know, Jamie, I just feel like, and then the Bengals are out there creating their own little controversy saying that they heard and read somewhere that you know the Bills receivers were complaining last year and saying they should have won the game. I mean, it was Tyler Boyd and uh, Jamar Chase. 
when you have to fabricate drama like that to get your team up for a game, I worry that that shows me that your team is not as focused if you have to keep fabricating outside drama to fire up your team. The Bills don't have a problem with that. I don't know that I quite agree with that take in the sense that, I mean, Thurman Thomas fabricated something to be pissed off about before every single game. And, you know, he rode that all the way to the Hall of Fame. So, you know, I, I think whatever it takes, and I, I, I'm not going to count that against them. That said, I think that they're probably coming up with something like that because they're having a hard time getting up for the game the way they would like to otherwise. But, you know, they're professionals. Both teams get paid, and, you know, we'll see what happens. I, sir, am less confident because that's just how we roll on this show, right? (laughs) The yin and the yang, the optimist and the negative, positive John and negative Jamie. It's what they call us on the streets. Yeah, well, I prefer to be realistic Reggie, but I I don't think I quite qualify. (laughs) (laughs) So realistic Um, Reggie, what are your thoughts for, uh, for the game? I think the Bengals have been a tough matchup for the Bills over the past few years. And I don't know that that is ready to relinquish because I'm not sure we've seen enough change by the Buffalo Bills in either personnel or approach to overcome the difficulties that Cincinnati has given them so far. So as much as I want the Bills to win this game, I don't know if they're going to. And that could be a bad thing. This game is going to really play into playoff seedings because check this out. This would give the Bills how many losses in the conference? Four. This this would give them four losses. This would also give Cincinnati four losses in the conference. In fact, Cincinnati hasn't won a game yet in the conference. So this game is going to be very important for playoff seeding. So Bills, you better be awake when you show up in Cincinnati. Well, and I, I've said this all along, Jamie, that I still I'm going to give and I, I know I drink the Bills Kool-Aid and I am the optimist on this podcast, but I feel like the Bills team that we saw get their do- doors blown in versus Cincinnati in the playoffs was not the true identity of that Bills team because of all the emotional fatigue and heartache and trauma catching up with them. I know mm-hmm. there's a caveat that they are going back to the scene of Demar Hamlin's issue and incident and that could have some complications for this bills team but this team knows that there's doubters out there who are questioning them who are taking shots at them uh the bengals are i think have established themselves as being a more likely threat uh to the crown of kansas city in the afc than the bills and i think the bills have too much pride to let the bengals push them around for a second straight time i see the bills defense getting aggressive, creative, quick blitzes, getting after Joe Burrow. I am really excited for the matchup of Buffalo's corners against the talented wideouts of the Bengals. Uh, How much Rasul Douglas plays, how much Linval Joseph plays remains to be seen, but the Bills offense is going to rely on the no huddle, pushing the tempo, more design Josh Allen runs. The running game is going to have a good day against Cincinnati's defense. I see the Bills coming out prevailing in this one. I will go. This is the shootout we should have had last year in week 17. I say Bills win 38-35. Ooh, 
I like it. Is that a, a late field goal that that's going to win it for him? Um, no, I'm going to say the Bills are just uh, going to get a touchdown to walk, to get the win. Uh, they're going to be down 35-31, and Josh is going to be calm, reserved Josh on the primetime stage and engineer a game-winning drive. Khalil Shakir out of the slot, game-winning touchdown pass, Bills win. I love it because chances are very strong that I will be watching that with Khalil Shakir's aunt who uh, lives here in the D.C. area and watches with the Bills backers. That's awesome. So when did you find that out? Uh, last year, beginning of the year, she showed up in a Shakir jersey and uh, was very open about it. Her name is Kendra. She has the cutest daughter I've ever seen who's in second grade. And uh, she's there cheering for the Bills real strong every week. That's awesome. I know you guys will have a good turnout for the Sunday night game. And we hope Bill's Mafia has enjoyed our breakdown here on this week's episode of the Bill Eve podcast. Please, we love fan engagement. So get involved with our podcast on social media. Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico. I am at John Boccasino. For my good friend and colleague, Jamie, we're going to sign off for this week's episode of the Bill Eve podcast, saying thank you again and go Bills. <laughs>